If you have a Bible with you, uh, it would be helpful to have it open. First uh, Peter chapter 3, particularly verses 19 and 20. Uh, but if you don't, that's not a problem at all. Uh, it's going to be a slightly unusual uh, message today and slightly against uh, my better judgment. Because uh, normally the idea uh, in a sermon, in a message, is to look at a passage, uh, to explain what it means, and then uh, see how it applies to us living today. Uh, but the passage we're looking at this morning is one which, truth be told, no one <laughs> really knows what it means, or not for certainty anyway. Uh, even Martin Luther, the uh, famous um, uh, originator of the Reformation, uh, said this about these verses, verses 19 and 20 of 1 Peter 3. He said it's uh, described them as uh, more obscure, perhaps, than any other in the New Testament. Uh, he described these verses as uh, more baffling than perhaps any in the New Testament. And my first inclination when preparing this was basically to ignore <laughs> these verses 19 and 20 and just look at the wider kind of context and what we can learn uh, for certainty from that. And we will do that uh, next time, God willing. Uh, But I decided that it wasn't a good idea to ignore these verses um, because I felt that it's inevitable that people would read them and think, what does that mean? (laughs) And if I just ignored it, then uh, that wouldn't give a very good message uh, regarding uh, how we treat the Bible. Uh, So what I want to do is just look at these verses, see what we can learn from them. And if nothing else, uh, it teaches us what to do when we come across verses which are baffling, which are difficult to know exactly what they mean. And as I say, we'll be looking particularly at verses 19 and 20. But let me read uh, verses 18 to 20. Uh, just to remind you uh, of them. So it's verses 18 onwards. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, When once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. So those are the verses we're looking at. And really there are two main questions that need to be answered if we're going to understand or try to understand what these verses mean. Uh, The first question is, who are the spirits in prison? Uh, Notice that in verse 9, it says that Jesus preached through the Spirit to the spirits in prison. And the first question is, well, who are they? What does that mean? And the second important question is, when did Jesus preach to them? says Jesus preached to them, but when? When did he do that? So I'd like to spend the first part of our 
sermon uh, message this evening, this morning, uh, uh, giving the possible answers to those two questions, and then we'll close by seeing what we can learn regardless of the precise meaning. So first question, who are the spirits in prison that Peter tells us that Jesus spoke to? And there are uh, two basic options. There's more than that. There's always more than that. If you read commentaries, you can get a hundred different views. But there are two basic options for who these spirits in prison are. And I'll uh, take the one which perhaps sounds strangest first. Uh, The first option is that these spirits in prison are angelic spirits who were punished in the days of Noah. You might think, well, what's that talking about? But the Bible uh, does refer to uh, angels who sinned And their sin, in part, was what led to the judgment of the flood back in Genesis, Genesis chapter 6, and around there. Uh, In fact, it might be helpful to turn to there. If you go to Genesis and chapter 6, if you have a Bible, uh, you have a very, we we see a very strange uh, verse. It says in Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, that now it came to pass when man began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And Jewish tradition and commentators tend to say that That verse refers to the sons of God, meaning angelic beings, direct creation of gods, came to earth and started marrying human daughters, human women. And that was forbidden. That was um, strictly not allowed by God. And as a result, those angels were severely punished. We read of that, in fact, in 2 Peter. We're obviously reading 1 Peter now, but in Peter's second letter, he refers to this event. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 says this. It says, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, And did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. So you see there, Peter refers to, again, these angels who sinned back in the days of Noah. Uh, If you want one final reference in Jude, the book of Jude is a few pages on, and it's only one chapter long, so it's chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. Jude writes this. Uh, He says, I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of that great day. 
Did you see? Uh, Both Peter and Jude speak of angels who are reserved in chains of darkness because they left the place they were supposed to be and they were rebellious against God, doing what they should not. And all that was in the days of Noah. And so you can see, that's a plausible explanation for who these spirits are in prison in 1 Peter chapter 3, where Peter writes, Jesus went and preached to the spirits in prison who were formerly disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah. So that's one explanation. And you might think, well, that's satisfactory. Why continue? Well, there is another option for who these spirits in prison might be. First one, that they are angels who left their proper place and (coughs) sinned in the days of Noah. But the second option is this, uh, that they are human spirits, that is, human beings separated from their bodies, waiting in the prison of death, waiting for their eventual resurrection. Uh, In the book of Job, in the Bible, uh, the dead are described as like prisoners. And they're prisoners in the place of the dead, which the Bible calls Sheol, the grave. Uh, The Bible speaks of a day of resurrection, but in the meantime, people are in the place of the dead. Uh, Believers are safe with God, souls in his keeping, but unbelievers are in prison awaiting judgment. And other interpreters suggest that is what Peter is referring to here. Uh, The souls, the spirits of people awaiting resurrection, people who have died and They are waiting, as I say, that day of resurrection. And Peter, they would argue, is preaching to such people. In particular, the people who disobeyed in the days of Noah, bringing on the flood. Uh, The Bible says that uh, the thought of every person's heart was only evil continually. And God brought in the flood only saving eight people who bowed to him and trusted in him. So those are the two options for who the spirits in prison are. Either they are angelic spirits who rebelled against God and are judged, as referred to in Second Peter and in Jude, or they're human spirits awaiting the day of resurrection who Christ preached to. But that leads to the second big question. And the second big question is, well, when did Jesus preach to them? Whoever they are, when did Jesus preach to them? And once again, there were two basic options. First option is that Jesus preached to them between his death and his resurrection. We all know, don't we? that Jesus died on the cross. Uh, He said, it is finished, and the Bible says he committed his soul into his father's hand. And three days later, he rose again. And uh, some people 
uh, asked the question, well, what was he doing in between his death and his resurrection? What was he doing in those three days? And some take this verse and they say, well, he was proclaiming his victory to the spirits in prison, either the angels who sinned, as we've just said, or to spirits of people who had already died, and he was proclaiming his victory. Uh, Some go further and say that he emptied the grave, as it were, of those who had believed on him, and they enjoyed paradise, as Jesus promised the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. Uh, Others say he simply preached his victory to the souls who had rejected him in life. And he was proclaiming his victory over sin and death on the cross. Uh, That's the first option. Jesus was either preaching, was preaching a proclamation of victory to dead spirits. But the second option is a little bit more complicated. I hope you're still tracking with me. I can still see your eyes, but we'll see. The second option is that Jesus preached to these souls now in prison long before in the days of Noah. How does that work? Well, let's read again what the passage says. Uh, Verse 18 says, Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah. Now, did you hear what Peter said? He said that Jesus preached through the spirits. In other words, Jesus didn't preach physically in his body. He preached through the spirit. And some people suggest that it might mean that Peter is simply saying that Jesus was, as it were, preaching back in the days of Noah when Noah... And others preached to the people saying, a flood is coming, judgment is coming, repent, believe, come into the ark and be saved. And Peter's saying that Christ was preaching through them. Uh, In case you think that's a strange idea, Peter's already said something quite similar earlier in the letter. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 to 11, Peter wrote this, and we looked at this a few months back. Uh, Peter wrote, of this salvation... Salvation in Christ. The prophets, those who lived many, many years before who wrote the Old Testament, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or in what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Peter says that the Old Testament prophets were speaking through the spirit of Christ. Or to put it another way, Christ was speaking through them. Uh, Obviously, Christ came to this world about 
2,000 years ago. But Peter said he had been preaching long before that, through all the prophets who we can still read in the Old Testament. And again, some people say that is what Peter is referring to. He's saying that Christ preached in the days of Noah to the spirits who are now in prison, who are now suffering because of their rebellion then, because they ignored Christ's preaching. Uh, That's the second option for when Christ preached. I hope you're still with me. Um, And I'll be honest, I don't really know which one of those options it is. I've changed my mind twice while preparing this message. I broadly lean towards the option that it is those angels, those angels who sinned in the days of Noah, mainly because Peter refers to them in Second Peter. And so Christ is proclaiming his salvation and his victory over the angels who had sinned. And you get a little hint of that in verse 22. Did you notice what it said? It says of Jesus Christ that he has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God Angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. So if I had to pick one, I would say that this passage is teaching that when Jesus died on the cross, when he said it is finished, he, as it were, preached to those angels who had sinned, who thought that they could rebel against God. The mightiest creatures that God has created that we know of who thought they could rebel against God. And Jesus says, no. Even angels are subject to him. You might say, well, that's all very well, but what are we to do with this passage? Uh, What are we to do? God's put it in the Bible, so it's obviously of value to us. Uh, But what are we to do with it? Well, thankfully... There is an application which applies to us regardless of what view we take, regardless of who we think the spirits in prison are, or regardless of what we think or when we think Christ preached to them. Uh, the application is this, that Jesus has authority even over the dead. This passage, regardless of its precise meaning, teaches us that death cannot separate from Christ. He is a ruler, the ruler, of both the dead and the living. There is no place outside of his jurisdiction. There is no place, either in space or time, where Jesus does not have authority. And that's both an encouragement, but also a warning. It's a warning to those who rebel against God. I don't know everyone here this morning. I don't know everyone watching online. But we all as human beings have a temptation of thinking that we can disobey God, we can disregard him, and yet still be okay in the end. 
This passage teaches, even if indirectly, that you cannot be disobedient to God and get away with it. Uh, Psalm 94 says this. Uh, The psalmist says, Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked triumph? They utter speech and speak insolent things. All the workers of iniquity boast in themselves. They break in pieces your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They slay the widow and the stranger and murder the fatherless. Yet they say, the Lord does not see, nor does the God of Jacob understand. Understand, you senseless among the people, and you fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, shall he not hear? He who formed the eye, shall he not see? He who instructs a nation, shall he not correct? He who teaches man knowledge. The Lord knows the thoughts of man, that they are futile. Do you hear what that psalm is saying? It's saying some people think that they can hide from God. And the psalmist says, but God made our eyes. He can see. Some people think that God won't hear the things they whisper in the corner. The psalmist says, God made our ears. He made our lips. There is nothing he cannot hear. Even Jesus himself taught, didn't he, that the things we whisper in the corner will be proclaimed on the housetops. We cannot escape from God. There is no place we can go. Uh, One of the other psalmists says that even if we make our... (coughs) bed in the grave if we make our bed in hell we cannot escape from the sight of God so this passage is a warning don't think that you can get away with ignoring God with ignoring Christ he offers salvation now he tells us the way we should go Uh, he says come to me All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Uh, He proclaims his goodness and his love through his death on the cross for our sins. And if we ignore that, there is no other way of escape. Because even death itself doesn't separate us from Christ's judgment. That's the warning. There's also encouragement here. There's an encouragement for believers. And the encouragement is the same, in a sense. The encouragement is, you can't be separated from the love of Christ, even by death. The worst thing that, humanly speaking, can happen to us, the separation of our body from our soul, even that, the Bible teaches, will not separate us from Christ. He has defeated death. The grave is conquered. The thing we fear most is put under Christ's feet by his death and by his resurrection, as mentioned in verse 18. We're safe. If you're trusting in Christ this morning, nothing of eternal uh, terror can happen to you. You are completely secure in him. 
That's a strange message to the world in general, isn't it? Uh, Because the world we live in measures time from birth to death, doesn't it? Uh, People, if you like, pace their lives based on the fact that they're born and then they're going to die one day. And so they work really, really hard, earn all the money they can, uh, get all the satisfaction they can, and so hopefully have an enjoyable retirement so that they can sort of slowly rest into the grave. And people measure their lives, their existence, based on a few short years of life. When, of course, we don't know how long we're going to live. And the Bible says, after death, there's judgment. After death, there's eternity. So don't measure your life by the mere few years you live on this earth. Measure your life by eternity. Because death is not the end this world thinks it is. Death is simply a portal to Christ because he is there. He has authority over all. And that should be a wonderful comfort to those who are resting, who are trusting in him. I just want to close uh, by reading a little story I read uh, which illustrates the victory that Christ has over death. Uh, which illustrates the reality that if we are a believer here this morning, we do not need to be in terror of the grave. Uh, It's uh, a uh, little report given by a Ugandan uh, church leader called Festo Kivingiri, that's his name. And uh, he wrote an account of a 1973 execution by firing squad of three men who were in his um, uh, local area, under his care as a church leader. And this is what he wrote, this um, Christian leader in Uganda. Uh, He said, February the 10th began as a sad day for us in Kabali. People were commanded to come to the stadium and witness the execution. Death permeated the atmosphere. A silent crowd of about 3,000 was there to watch. I had permission from the authorities to speak to the men before they died and two of my fellow ministers were with me. They brought the men in a truck and unloaded them. They were handcuffed and their feet were chained. The firing squad stood at attention. As we walked into the centre of the stadium, I was wondering what to say. How do you give the gospel to doomed men who are probably seething with rage? We approached them from behind. And as they turned to look at us, what a sight. Their faces were all alight with an unmistakable glow and radiance. Before we could say anything, one of them burst out. Pastor, thank you for coming. I wanted to tell you. The day I was arrested in my prison cell, I asked the Lord Jesus to come into my heart. He came in and forgave me all my sins. Heaven is now open and there is nothing between me and my God. Please tell my wife and children that I am going to be with Jesus. Ask them to accept him into their lives as I did. The other two men told similar stories, excitedly raising their hands, which rattled their handcuffs. 
I felt that what I needed to do was talk to the soldiers, not to the condemned. So I translated what the men had said into the language the soldiers understood. The military men were standing there with guns cocked and bewilderment on their faces. They were so dumbfounded that they forgot to put the hoods over the men's faces. The three faced the firing squad standing close together. They looked toward the people and began to wave, handcuffs and all. The people waved back. Then shots were fired and the three were with Jesus. We stood in front of them, our own hearts throbbing with joy, mingled with tears. It was a day never to be forgotten. Though dead, the men spoke loudly to all of Kigizi district and beyond. So that there was an upsurge of life in Christ which challenges death and defeats it. The next Sunday, I was preaching to a huge crowd in the hometown of one of the executed men. Again, the feel of death was over the congregation. But when I gave the testimony of their man and how he died, there erupted a great song of praise to Jesus. Many turned to the Lord there. Do you see how Christ has conquered death? We do not need to fear the greatest enemy that so many do fear. Jesus has the power to preach to those spirits who are in prison. He has authority over the dead. And while we're alive, he gives us the opportunity to turn to him. He gives us the opportunity to accept that wonderful gift. If you ignore it, There is no way of escape. But if you accept it, you have the joy of knowing that death is not the end. But there is an eternity of joy awaiting with Christ. That, at least, is what we can take from these verses. And uh, next time, we'll look in more detail at what Peter has to say going forward. But let's close by singing... Our first, our last hymn, number 720. 720. Uh, A hymn of challenge, but also uh, a hymn of joy. 720. Who is on the Lord's side? Who will serve the King? Who will be his helpers, other lives to bring? Who will leave the world's side? Who will face the foe? Who is on the Lord's side? Who for him will go? So we'll stand to sing in closing, number 720.